0: Welcome to Gospel Defenders, Episode 10. I'm here, Jesse the Radical, in the studio with uh, my friend. I'm going to let him introduce himself. I am Andy the Anchorman. It's a pleasure to be here. And before we
1: go any further, I just want to throw a shout-out to Robert, uh, the... um, Robert the Rain Man. Robert the Rain Man. I'm sorry. completely totally forgot that. I knew that. Uh, he is not gone. Fair, faithful gospel defenders, listeners. Uh, he will be back. It's just, you know, timing is an issue for all of us at one point or another, but
0: we wish him well. I told him that this is uh, now going to be the Jesse and Andy show, <laughs> and uh, if he misses one more, we're voting him off the ship. He is off the island. <laughs> You are the weakest link. He is the weakest link. (laughs) You remember that show, that British lady? Yeah, she was horrible. Oh, man. Wow, she was mean. That's rough. So this is episode 10. Hey, guess what? Gospel Defenders is now a year old. Wow. We have, uh, and I think technically it's 11 or 12 episodes, but some of those were mini episodes, some were different. But this is uh, episode 10. I think we've been recording episodes for almost a year. Actually, it will be a year in... um, December the year anniversary but this is our 12th month of being in existence and what what is the radio equivalent of party poppers I don't know. we could throw some sound effects in later um so man how was your thanksgiving it was good man i had two sweet
1: Something great about in-laws that is awesome you get to, but we did Thanksgiving. This was the first year that Melanie hosted it at our house mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving, and it was good. It was it was a blast. The family came over, a lot of good food and everything, and you know, good company. And then we did it again on Saturday at her mom's house. That was kind of the bigger bigger one. It was fun. We had a blast.
0: I have to tell you about something that my wife made. So, uh, for leftovers, this was like a few days after Thanksgiving. She chopped up some leftover turkey. Mm-hmm. She took a, a pita bread that, like, you cut it in half, and then it opens in the middle, almost like a little taco. Right, like a pouch. Yeah, and so she filled it with sliced turkey, and then dressing, and then gravy, and then a few scoops of uh, what is that called? The cranberry uh, cranberry sauce. Oh, oh yeah, cranberry yeah, yeah, yeah. salad. Yeah, you lost me there, but it made made fantastic. Made a it was like. A Thanksgiving hot pocket all in one bite. <laughs> I mean, you get turkey, dressing, cranberry salad, everything in one little pita. Wow. That sounds really good right now. <laughs> and and then Tyler, Tyler was asking Roman, she says, uh, do you like your Thanksgiving pita? And I said, his name's Roman, honey. Do you like your drink, pita? Do you like yeah, drink? We had a little... What What is yeah. that from, uh, Hunger Games? Yeah, right, PETA. PETA. Yeah. PETA. Got, got a little British there for a second. Hey, I caught I think, that. I think we may actually have some um, engagements. Nope, false alarm on our Facebook page. Oh, uh, So we're going to wait for those to show up. Um, so since this is our, like, 10th episode, uh, we wanted to talk about Christmas is coming up. What did we get for Christmas when we were 10? Um, this was one of my... Most memorable Christmases ever because I almost died, and I'll tell you that. <laughs> but anyway, I woke up Christmas morning and there was a go kart. Nice. A uh, little two seater, five horsepower, Briggs and Stratton on the back of it. We went outside, we fired that thing up. I took off up the road, successfully turned around. And when I was coming back, like I'd never had to push a gas or a brake differently. So. Mm. I was coming back. My dad was standing in the middle of the road, and I'm, I'm supposed to brake, but I'm pushing, and I'm still hitting the gas. And there's a pond in front of my house across the street. Oh, wow. And I almost ran into that pond. Mm. I mean, just straight off the road into that pond. And then it scared me to death, and I didn't get on it for the rest of the day. <laughs> but it turned out to be amazing, and uh, that, was, that was pretty awesome. Uh, but what about you?
1: Well, I, I'm going to date myself here because it was 1985 when i was 10 wow yes i'm old um, which the biggest things back then were he-man transformers and star wars and i huge star wars fan myself and i i remember getting just toy the figures upon figures upon figures and uh, it was funny because my neighbor who lived right beside me same age as me always got the vehicles so he would get like the big AT-AT walkers and the big snow speeders and land speeders.
0: The, these are uh,
1: Star Wars vehicles. Yes, okay. they would get the Star Wars toys. The, right. The, I got the figures. Mm-hmm. He got the vehicles. Right. So together we were
0: awesome. Oh, that's amazing! Um,
1: but I will tell you one story just to show how dumb I was when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, have you seen Star Wars?
0: I have seen a few of the the
1: older ones. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I mean, yeah. the older ones. Let me set the scene for you. now Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker goes to rescue Han Solo. And he's frozen in carbonite. He goes to Jabba's palace. Jabba drops Luke, I'm just being quick here, into this pit underneath his chamber, trapdoor floor, and there's a big giant monster called the Rancor monster who tries to eat him. Mm-hmm. So I'm in the backyard. Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Let me finish that. Um, he ends up killing the monster, Spo- mm-hmm. spoiler alert, <clears throat> but if I'm spoiling in a movie from 1983, we have problems and Job of the Hutt being the gangster takes them to this pit in the middle of the desert. It's called the pit of carcoon and it's just a hole in the ground with some tentacles coming out of it and teeth mm-hmm. and it's called the Sarlacc pit. And apparently you get thrown in there and he digests you for like a thousand years. Oh, wow. Most painful way to die. Yes. So I take all my toys, I go out in the yard, dig a hole, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, this is going to be my Sarlacc pit. Because one of the toys <laughs> was a of the Hut on top of this little dais thing that he rides. Mm-hmm. Or dais, however you say that. And I was like, oh, here's my Sarlacc pit. So, <laughs> but instead of just making that the pit, I took shards of glass and put it all around the edges. Like in the dirt? In the dirt. Wow. To be the teeth. Of the sarlacc pit. Right. And then I would, ah, drop my little figures down in the hole, and not just reach right in there and grab them out. Right. Never cut myself. You know, so
0: I never got hurt. But I was like, you think back on that, I was like, that was dumb. Yeah. Like, if you would have fallen into that or, like, you know, lost your balance and then (coughs) your elbow goes down in there. Oh, yeah. Hit hit the... one of your big the veins vein
1: in yeah. the arm yeah that could have been very dangerous but that does sound pretty awesome I mean it's not quite driving into a
0: pond dangerous but <laughs> it was a lot of fun <laughs> so evidently our 10th birthdays were pretty potentially dangerous yes dangerous but parents fun. maybe you should buy your kids like one of those bubble helmets or you have you seen those big bubble things people people play soccer oh, in yeah yeah those actually look dangerous as well so but they look so much fun they do they do <laughs> So that's fun, man. Uh, Christmas is fun, and uh, me and my wife, we were decorating over the weekend, and we like putting up lights, and we've got two Christmas trees, and get out the train sets with the kids. And, you know, when I'm doing that, I'm thinking, man, you could quickly get swept away in the fact that these are cultural manifestations or celebrations, but it's all about the heart of how you're celebrating. True. True. And for me, you know, I'm putting up lights, and every day I come home and it's dark, and there's those lights, there's the trees, and I'm like, man, this is all for Jesus, because He is the light of the world, and, you know, giving gifts and celebrating, I mean, I serve an awesome God. Amen. And what He's given me is going to be enjoyed for a million years, plus a million years, plus a million years. That's so. Right. I don't mind celebrating Christmas, and it's a lot of fun. We'll probably talk more about that. Um, We had a listener question come in, and I'm going to read that for you. We're going to touch on that before we get into our main segment. Here's a listener question. Do you feel that one translation of the Bible has final authority over another? If so, which one? Um, If not, which is a recommendation to follow? is one more infallible than the next, and which are inerrant. Because some people and religious people feel that the King James is the final authority of Scripture. Thank you. Uh, Let me open up this question by asking, uh, Andy, what translation do you like or prefer? Uh, Right now, I do the uh, New King James Version. The New King James, probably because that's what I preach from. And it's yeah. easiest to follow people. You know, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, what Bible should I buy? I normally tell them, buy New King James, because I preach mm-hmm. from New King James. Yeah. And there's lots of reasons for that. Um, when I was in high school, one of my mentors gave me a really nice study Bible, and it was a New King James study Bible. So that's the Bible I was, I, I'm accustomed to. When I memorize verses, I memorize verses out of the New King James. Mm-hmm. Um. And and so when I read something different now, it just doesn't sound the same. And so I I'll, I'll, I enjoy the New King James. Um, I'm probably different from a lot of new preachers, young preachers now who are using ESV or mm-hmm. not a whole lot use the HCSB. I like it, but um yeah, well, I grew up with the King James, just the
1: straight up, just King the straight James. up standard yeah. King James my whole life pretty yeah. much. And the only thing that I like about the New King, or not the only thing, but. One of the things I like about the New King James, it, it is the King James Version
0: just without the these and thous. Correct. I do think that the the King James does capture a lot of the poetic nature of some of the original um, you know, psalms, the prophetic mm-hmm. books. Even even the book of Revelation is like a poetic book. Um and we, we lose all that nuance in translation. But It's just really, for me, that's a matter of preference. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm studying a passage, I know I'm going to preach from the New King James. I will generally consult the NIV first because it is not simply a word-for-word translation like the King James, but it is aiming to be more of a thought-for-thought translation. Now, this is important because... um, you know, as a preacher, not only do I want to know what the original words are, but I want to know what the entire thought is. Mm-hmm. You know, so this this word may be cedars of Lebanon, but what is it telling me?
2: Oh,
0: mm-hmm. uh, it's telling me strong trees. And so the NIV may say strong trees, right? Whereas the King James, the New King James, says cedars of Lebanon. And what so. is it, what is the NIV? The the New, new International New International. Version. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. Um. A lot of people don't like the, uh, the NIV, and there's various reasons. A lot of people, normally the people who are King James only claim that newer translations take verses out of the Bible. And what I would say to that is um, newer translations are actually based on more manuscripts than what the King James translators had available to them. Um, The King James translators had somewhere between 400 to 600 manuscripts, and that may be a high number. It may be more Mm -hmm. 400. 400 to 600 manuscripts available when they translated the King James uh, in the 1600s. It was produced um, 1611. So they had around 400 to 600 manuscripts. Since that time, we now have over 5,000 ancient manuscripts of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So what newer translations, such as the ESV, uh, NIV, New American Standard, what they have done is they've found that the majority of transcripts don't contain some of the verses that the King James Mm -hmm. has. So it's not that the newer translations are taking away Scripture from the Bible. It is that the King James has some differences that weren't in the Oldest translations or the majority translations, mm-hmm. um, and but but Bibles will contain those footnotes. You know they'll say um, some manuscripts read this. Now a lot of people get all worried when we talk about manuscript differences. Mm-hmm. But here's the deal: <laughs> none, none of them change the gospel. True. None of them change the deity of Christ. The Trinity salvation by faith alone you know until you get to the New world translation which literally changes verses mm-hmm. these little differences um, don't change the gospel it doesn't change what we know it doesn't change um, the Exodus it doesn't change you know uh, the walls falling down at Jericho stuff that we've covered in the previous episodes right but there's some different things so so to answer this question. Does one translation have authority over another? And to that, we would I would say no, because a translation is not what was inspired by God. Right. It was the original manuscripts. Right, And
1: all of the Bibles, correct me if I'm wrong, but all of the new translations that we get out are translated from the original scripts. Correct. So it's not like the New King James went to the Old King James and just translated it from there over they went back to the original manuscripts just put it in our language
0: well there the new king james is an interesting uh, animal in itself because it is a modernization of the king james now i have seen in study that there's many places where they did consult the original manuscripts yeah but So, for example, like there was a 1984 edition of the NIV, and now there's like a 2011 edition of the NIV. They didn't just rewrite the NIV, but they went back to things that we know differently now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you think 1984, that's 94, you know, 30 years of difference, and we're still learning about the Bible. Mm -hmm. We're still updating uh, language. We're still learning things that, Maybe we translated it improperly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I mean, when I came to pastor this church, probably 97 percent of the congregation had the King James Bible. Uh, and so the new King James, which I' always preached from, was a perfect uh, segue mm-hmm. into, into uh, well, for me, and because I didn't use the King James, even the King James is not the original King James. I actually have a copy. Uh, it, it is not an old copy. It's a new copy of the 1611 King James. It's what it looked like. You can't even read it because English was so different back then. So even King James now is not what King James was 400 years ago. It's been right. totally updated. Updated translations, yeah. You know what I mean? So we can't say that a translation has authority because we're, we're granting... Uh, that position to a group of translators who were were infallible men. Right. Translations were infallible. And that's the thing we got to understand. Translations are infallible because the question says, um, is one more infallible than the next? Okay. A lot of people, sometimes you'll find people who read out of the message. Mm-hmm. The message is not a translation. It is a paraphrase. Right. Very similar to the uh, well, the NLT, the New Living Translation, it is it is much more a paraphrase than a translation. So there, you're going to find some great differences. Right. But what were they trying to do? Like for the New Living Translation, and and sometimes I found the New Living Translation to be helpful. Because it's going to give you something that none of the other, like ESV or NESB, it's not, it's not going to give you the picture of language that they're trying to communicate, but the New Living Translation might. I don't use that as my regular Bible. Right. Um, it It is really, I mean, you know, if someone has a, a very, very low reading level, maybe a low education level or something like that. Now, now listen, anybody using an NLT, don't get offended at me saying that. I know someone... Um, who likes the NIV Children's Bible because it has pictures in it? Mm-hmm. You know, so so what Bible is the best for you? The one you actually use, the one you read. Um, you know, at home I've got a Home and Christian Standard that I like to consult. I've got a NIV. I've got a New King James, and then in my office, man, I've got New American Standard. I've got a computer program that'll pull up about seventeen translations, but really. Mm-hmm. The one that you're reading, is the one, that's best for you.
1: True. I mean, and there's always the best thing to do is just pray about it. Right. You know, you ask God, okay, God, I'm reading this version, I'm reading this translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Am I okay with this? Mm-hmm. You know, and He'll let you know.
2: Right.
0: And he'll tell you yes or no. Don't read that. <laughs> yeah. If it if it says uh, if it says New World Translation, throw that one in the garbage. That's the. Yeah. Uh, that's the Jehovah's Witness Bible. New world, yeah. That's... <laughs> <laughs> so um, I hope that kind of answers it. Um, what I've found is someone who's King James only, you're really not going to change their mind. I have seen people change their mind, and I think it comes by the Spirit of God. Um, I think if you say that this is the only translation, you're in error. The because they're, they're going to be making translations until Jesus comes back. True. I've had people say that the King James Bible is the only Bible that you can get saved under.
1: I have heard that as well.
0: And I say, well, what do they do in China? They're mm-hmm. using a Chinese translation. What do right. they do in Mexico? They're using a, a Mexican translation. Yeah, you can't limit it like that. No. So, all right, man. Uh, that was a good question. Keep them
1: coming. But, we, you know, the question, too, in itself, mm-hmm. has a lot to do with the next segment. Because it certainly does. this is what Andy Stanley... When he's talking about which is what we're getting ready to get into again you know he's he's talking about people in the finding things wrong with the Bible and just saying you know forget the whole thing and it's you know talking about that is a perfect segue right into this
0: and I think what he's communicated is that we should kind of be afraid of those things that we might not know, like for example, I was going to bring this up but in in I was reading this morning, uh, Hebrews chapter one, verse six, says when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says let all the angels of God worship him, and then my Bible has a footnote. Footnote A says Deuteronomy thirty two forty three. Now I didn't read the rest of the footnote. I just turned to Deuteronomy thirty four. Uh, I'm sorry. Thirty-two, forty-three. So I wanted to read what it says. Here's what Deuteronomy thirty-two, forty-three says. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. And I'm like, wait a minute. I think they misprinted a footnote because the, the footnote does not say, um, let all the angels of God worship him. Right. So I continue to reading in the footnote. And it says... Deuteronomy 32 43 in the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, let me explain those two things. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You'll commonly see it um, abbreviated LXX. Um, so, back in the first century and probably before that, during uh, Alexander, the, the rule of Alexander, the Hellenization, of the area, uh, people began speaking Greek. And so they were now creating translations. This has been a debate going on forever. They were creating translations from the Hebrew into the vernacular of the people, which is Greek, and that was the Septuagint, the LXX. Mm -hmm. So in the Septuagint, it includes that verse, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Let all God's angels worship him let all God's angels worship him. Right. Okay? And it also says that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are the oldest copies of the Old Testament that have ever been discovered. Mm -hmm. So the oldest copies of the Old Testament say, let all God's angels worship him. But here's the deal. Somewhere in the past 2,000 years, the scribes who were, trans, who were um, copying these did not include that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Does that change, first of all, does it change the message of Deuteronomy? No. No. Does it change the message of Hebrews? No. no. Because there are places throughout the entire New Testament where Jesus receives worship. One of them being Revelations. Mm-hmm. Revelation, excuse me. One of them being um, when people fall down at his feet. Um, on and on and on, you see places where Jesus receives worship and where God commands the worship. In the Psalms, oh, this is a good point. Uh, Psalm 97.7. Let me turn there for a second. Psalm 97.7. Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols, worship him, all you gods. And that's a lowercase gods. Mm-hmm. That means rulers, authorities, um, principalities, all, all beings should worship him. Okay? So it's it's very similar to what the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls have in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. But but here's what Andy Stanley would make us think. Well, that verse is not in the Bible. It must be an error. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a fragile house of cards. No, I think all those little differences actually show, number one, that the entire Bible was not fabricated as some kind of phony story. Mm -hmm. Number two, it shows the transmission uh, uh, process through history. Scribes were transmitting things and there's things which have little changes, okay, that we can't explain all of them, but that doesn't mean we have to be afraid of them.
1: Right, right. And those are not the things to dwell on anyway. Because you're not changing the story. You're not changing the message of
0: of what it says. Because it'd be one thing if, you know, one book in the New Testament says, worship Christ, and another book in the New Testament says, worship the priest. Mm Mm-hmm. But none of them, none of them say that, right? Unless it's the high priest who is Christ. So that was a good transition point. So we're gonna jump into our final segment on Andy Stanley. If this is your first episode, you're joining us with because uh, we had probably about 16 new subscribers last week um, to the to the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. 16 new new likes. If this is the first episode you're listening to, then go listen to the previous episodes. Um, which were episode 9 and then Gospel Defenders episode 8.1. Those were the ones where we began reviewing Andy Stanley's sermon. This is going to be our final, but we're going to pick up on some of the stuff he said last time.
3: It was was unbelievable. And here's, here's the thing that I don't want you to miss. They did not make copies of the Gospels because they believed they were inspired. They made copies of the Gospels because they believed... They were true.
0: And what we mentioned last time was here in this sermon, he's making a difference between inspiration and history. Mm-hmm. He, he's saying there's a difference between true history and what was inspired by God. Um, now, 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 let's say, which, which is more important to you? If you're reading a history book or reading proverbs in the in the spectrum of your life, which would be which would be more spiritually important? Uh, proverbs. I mean, that's, I think. I mean, it, it kind of gives. And us... I can I could pick any book. Let's say let's say a history book or psalms psalms
1: yeah i think anything that in if you're reading from the bible itself is going to be more relevant to your life and why do you think that well history was written by the winners good 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 point there yeah and i don't think you really get a full account when you look back at at your american history book or whatever mm-hmm. of the true story because I mean, it's kind of an old adage, but it's true. History was written by the
0: winners. Right. So my thought was, you know, the book of Psalms is not history. Right. But it is inspired. hmm And they were making copies of those for hundreds of years before Jesus came along. True. Why were they making copies of those books? Because they were inspired. They, they, were, they were the revelation of God's character, of God's nature, of God's being. Why did they make copies of the book of Proverbs? They weren't history. Same thing. It's they were the revelation of God. And, and here's, here's what we see in the Gospels, that Jesus Christ is the revelation of God. I mean, he was God in flesh. This was, this was the most important revelation of God that it's, has ever happened. Hmm. You know, and, and that's the difference. Okay, Luke was a physician and a historian. He was recording, let's say Luke was recording history. On the other hand, Mark, Mark was he's talking about God. You see what I mean? Yeah. And they're they're all recording the same story, but they're not trying to write history. Right, right. They're describing what God, how He revealed Himself to us, the good news of the gospel. So I mean, did they believe they were true? Of course they were. Mm-hmm. Did they believe? Did they believe that the prophecy of Isaiah was true? Of course it was. Yeah. See, I think they made copies
1: of the gospel because, you know, they believed they were true. Right. But because they believe that the writers were inspired, that's why they made copies. Because the original guy was inspired. Right. <clears throat> so I don't think it's an either or with what he's trying to
0: say here. You know, and this is why we have thousands upon thousands of copies of the New Testament manuscripts, but you look at a book like the Odyssey, Mm -hmm. you know, or what's, what's, what's a, a ancient history book that we have thousands of copies of circulated throughout the world. Can you think of one? Sounds like a school question. No. I can't think of one. I can't think of, yeah. Well, I mean, isn't history true? Why weren't they running around making copies of all that stuff? True. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. They made copies of them because they were true, but also because they knew that God had already revealed himself through Scripture, and this was the continuation of that, Jesus Christ was the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us.
3: The time marches on. Then we go back to our timeline. These documents are circulated all, really, all over the known world. Then in 312, something extraordinary happened. Constantine defeated um, uh, at the Tiber River. Constantine defeated the other emperor. There are actually three emperors at this time. Maxentius he con- conquered, they destroyed.
0: I think I figured it out. Okay. This is an attempt to make people believe Christianity without them needing to believe their Bible. Mm. Mm, yeah, I think I see where you're, you're saying. Because yeah. if they get into the Bible, they're going to find a lot of passages where God says, homosexuality is wrong, lust is wrong, greed is wrong. Let's not, let's not worry about all that. Let's just say, yeah, let's just look at the history of it. Let's look at the truth of the we history can, of we it. We can be, we can believe in Jesus. You don't have to mess with all that Bible stuff because once again, this is his third sermon in the series. And how much scripture have we got yet? All right, one verse. We've get, we're getting a history lesson right now. Yeah, it's an attempt to make Christianity plausible apart from Scripture, which that is the house of cards that will fall. Yes, absolutely.
3: Maxentius' army, Maxentius escaped with his life, tried to cross the Tiber River, drowned in the river, they found his body later. And in this moment, in 312 AD, Constantine becomes the undisputed emperor of the Roman Empire, it's the end of the Tetrarchy, and now he is in control of the Roman Empire. But here's, again, another mystery of history. During this time between the resurrection of Jesus and the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and the time that Constantine became the emperor of Rome, during these years, Christianity grew and grew and grew and gained influence and these were the persecution years. These were the, you know, throw them to the lion's years, you know, right before, when Nero was was emperor. These were the years throughout here where there were localized persecutions constantly of Christianity, and yet it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and it spread and it's extraordinary and it- which, Andy,
0: I may not have done a great job communicating this in Sunday school or preaching, but so many books in the New Testament were occasional documents. That means they were written for a reason. Mm-hmm. And do you know what a big portion of that reason was? What's that? To encourage the believers who were in persecution.
1: Right. <laughs> right. It was a lot of letters, you know, letters. Exactly. We had a, um, we were at the Thanksgiving, we were playing this game, and one of the games was to write down, uh, one of the categories was a book uh, of a certain letter. Or whatever letter rolled up on the dice, and somebody had said one of the books of the Bible mm-hmm. and we got into this kind of not argument, but debate discussion over whether or not they were books. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, technically they were like letters. Mm-hmm. you know I mean, yeah, we call them books of the Bible, right. But is it really a
0: book? No, the Bible's the book, right. And then I don't know, just kind of a little tangent there. But that is an interesting document. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, an interesting concept. Um. But even, in, you know, he says, well, we didn't even have the Bible until so-and-so. Mm-hmm. That's what he said before. But what they did have were the individual letters. So, so, I mean, imagine, you know, I've been preaching through the Book of Romans for four years. Imagine you had that on a scroll. Right.
3: That, Romans, that was Romans.
0: a good, that was a big scroll. Okay. So they, I don't even know if they had the, Well, they did, the Book of Life, but you know, you didn't carry around just 66 scrolls. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the only thing you could fit under your arm was Romans. Or, or, I mean, think about the Gospel of Luke or Acts, how massive that would have been. Mm -hmm. So I think you could make the argument that they were works in and of themselves. Right. But... What I was trying to say was, all he's saying, all these believers are being persecuted. Christianity still grew. Well, why did it still grow? Oh, that's right, because all these letters were being circulated, encouraged the believers in persecution. Because once the new believers came along, mm-hmm. they didn't witness Christ, right? And they had to go by.
1: They had scriptures. to go by
0: exactly the letters that were circulating and what was being uh, prodding them towards. Continuing on the race, finishing the race with perseverance, consider it pure joy, my brethren. You face trials of many kinds. All these, all scripture was encouraging the believers in persecution. Mm-hmm. So you get this picture of why the church was growing, how scripture was being used in that context. It, it wasn't growing apart from the Bible, it was growing with, because of, immersed in the Bible. Right, yeah.
3: It is unexplainable. In fact, Constantine's mother became a Christian before Christianity was legal, in spite of the fact that the Romans had so many gods that they worshiped, in spite of the fact that Rome was eternal, the eternal city, that no one could defeat Rome, and yet in spite of that, in spite of the fact that the Romans said, the reason we are so powerful and the reason we're so successful is we have the favor of the gods, and with the favor of the gods, Christianity grew and it spread. Eventually, Constantine lifts the restriction on worship in the Roman Empire. Eventually, he, he embraces Christianity, but here's what most historians will tell you. Constantine, and this is fabulous, this is, this is unbelievable. Constantine did not embrace Christianity because he was all that interested in becoming a Christian personally. Constantine embraced Christianity to unify the empire. Do you know what the significance of that is? That is... St- Actually, he
0: had a dream where there was a shield with a cross on it. Mm-hmm. And in this dream, it was saying, go forth and conquer in this symbol. Mm. Okay. That's kind of important in a conversion story. True. I mean for him it wasn't simply a political movement but he was actually convicted and, and actually he waited till his he was on his deathbed to be baptized because um, he believed that well he believed that baptism removes sin and you couldn't sin after you are baptized mm. so I mean he was m- maybe uneducated theologically but very convicted theologically Right. I mean, even convening the Council of Nicaea, we have the Nicene Creed, partly because of Constantine. And so he was very, very interested in the religious landscape of Christianity. Um, and that's kind of where problems started, <laughs> <laughs> when the government became interested in Christianity. But God used it, God will continue to use it.
3: Mm-hmm. Staggering that Constantine's like, I gotta find something that most people in the empire have in common and it's not the Roman gods anymore. That was the significant spread of Christianity in the most difficult years. That's why I'm convinced, this is just my opinion, that Christianity made its greatest strides during the 282 years before the Bible even existed, that the Christian
0: we, we disagree with that there. Absolutely.
3: Um, well, I mean,
1: okay, maybe before all the books were compiled and put together
0: into one Bible. Which didn't come along till really, I mean, when that was distributed, probably the printing press very heavily. Yeah. Otherwise, so, you had some huge handwritten, I don't know what that monster would be, but you know... <laughs> So, yeah, okay,
1: maybe that's what he's trying to say is, yes, the compiled works of the Bible were not around, but the
0: individual works of the Bible were. Spe- specifically, uh, 75% of the Bible being the Old Testament, which is what the early church used as right. their scriptures and liturgy. and Yeah, and if you take, like, physically
1: remove a, a book of the Bible from the Bible... Mm-hmm. And then just have that one, it's still part of the Bible. Even Correct. though it's not there, it's still it's part of it. It's still inspired scripture. It's still inspired scripture. And I think maybe that it was before the Bible existed, as far as the, the physical all of compilation yeah. of the Bible. Yeah. But not before the Bible existed.
0: Correct. Not before the scriptures given from God were circulated among the churches, preached in the churches. I mean mm-hmm. I mean when they were gathering on the Lord's day, it's what it says in the book of Acts. They were they were gathered on the first day of the week and he was preaching to them. He was preaching to them. It says that they they continued in the apostles' teachings. It says, Timothy, um, remember the scriptures of your youth. Mm-hmm. Um, um preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Um What's the one about um, do not neglect, no, not assembling yourselves, but that was important too. But um, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Mm -hmm. I mean, these, these these were all in the first century. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Why was the church growing? Why were the Christians being matured in their faith? Why were they being sanctified because the Word was being preached? What were they preaching? They were preaching the Bible. Scriptures.
1: Right. I mean, it almost sounds like he thinks that none of that was around. <laughs> it was like, like they was... were just
0: sitting around playing card games. Hey, man, <laughs> like, I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad Jesus rose from the grave. What you want to do? You know? Yeah. I mean, like it was all word of mouth. Like it
1: was all just stories that were passed on until somebody compiled all the stories into one book.
0: Right. I mean, that's what it sounds like he's
1: trying to say, and obviously, he's way off.
0: I mean, I know you're. Our listeners can't see this, but it says on the screen: Christianity made its greatest strides during the 282 years before the Bible even existed. What are you teaching these people, man? Like, I don't know. It is is such a far grasp from um, trying to trying to prove trying to prove something for people who have a problem with the Bible. He's he's trying to reach people who have a problem with the Bible. Exactly. And he said that early on. I right. I mean, that was kind of his whole
1: thing. People have so-called walked away from the Scriptures and walked away from God I
0: mean, and, and because this they is have the, a problem with the Bible. Here's the thing. If you've got a problem with the Bible, how are you going to grow as a Christian? You know what he actually said? And now all his comments make sense. He said this a few years ago the way i preach through the bible um expository preaching mm-hmm. where i preach straight through a book he said that's not how you grow people that's lazy preaching so you have to
1: invent something
0: correct in you order have to, to
1: make it interesting for the people
0: yeah you you can't just preach what's there in context you have to invent something and and have all these these slides with uh his historographs mm-hmm. and you know, history lessons and no notes. and uh, you See, it all starts clicking now. Mm-hmm. It all starts clicking.
3: Christian faith grew from 30 to the time of Constantine, not on the back of the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible teaches. In fact, the Jewish scriptures, the Jewish scriptures were not combined with those New Testament documents. Look at this. They weren't combined with the New Testament documents until 350 AD. The... What do
0: you mean they weren't combined? Exactly. That's you what mean like I was saying you mean when the churches in Galatia were reading the scriptures um that were being circulated that they didn't also have the Septuagint <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. he, here's my disciple group is studying Hebrews right now right every chapter of Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament mm-hmm. I mean over and over and over, quoting the Old Testament. Why would that be? Oh, that's right, because the New Testament church knew that Jesus was a fulfillment of the Scriptures. Right. right. And that they were basing their faith on the Scriptures, that they were basing who Jesus was, based on if he fulfilled the Bible's prophecies about him.
1: Yeah, and what is the what is the
0: importance of having them all combined? They're still there. I mean, you know what's cool? There's there's some new um, methods, not methods, but kind of ideas and printing coming out. Mm-hmm. Now they're have you seen this box set of the Bible? It doesn't come as one book. It comes as like five books. You get the law, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Number, Deuteronomy. It's in one book, hmm. and then you get um, history mm-hmm. in one book and then you get like prophecy you know, or yeah, prophecy in one book standalone. So you're, you know, when you're, when you're reading this book, you're just reading prophecy, right? Well, I mean, that's kind of how it's been all along. And yeah. that's why the Bible is divided the way it is. It's divided into law, prophecy, history, wisdom, literature, Gospels, letters.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it's divided
3: like that because that's the way the church had it. That is pretty cool, though. Mm-hmm. First record or the first um, existent copy that we have of the Old Testament. It wasn't called that until about 130 AD. The Old Testament being combined with the, the Greek New Testament, the first, co- the first reference or the first one we have or the oldest one we have is 350 years. is 350 years after the birth of Christ. And here's why.
0: So, I mean...
1: Again, not important that they
0: were not combined. They were still there, and they, they still used were, them. They were it was still they scripture were preaching from them. I mean, the Jewish synagogues for a thousand years didn't have a bound copy of the whole Old Testament. Mm. Every scroll was individual, and one synagogue may have had the scroll of Daniel, and one synagogue may have had the scroll of Proverbs, and they may have traded these on a monthly basis. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, even the whole. Jewish system wasn't simply based on did they have a bound copy of 39 books? Mm-hmm. No, because they had been reading these books, these scrolls, from the time they were born. This is what they read. It says that when Jesus uh, was in the synagogue that he opened the scroll of Isaiah and read and said, this is about me. That was the first expository sermon. Mm-hmm. And he explained the scriptures to them. So, you know, he was basing the revelation of himself on the Bible
3: because it was illegal. Not only that, it was expensive. Nobody even, even had access to the Jewish scriptures unless you went to a synagogue. It took Constantine becoming the emperor and having the wealth and the influence to allow the scribes and the scholars to gather these documents, put them together. They were still arguing about which of the New Testament, which of the first century um, Christian writings should become part of what would eventually be called the New Testament. But the Bible as we know it, the oldest copy we have, is 350 years after Jesus. Why? Because during this time they're being written, then they're being copied and distributed, and over time they were being gathered. And the first time that the word Bible or the Bible was put on as a label on this collection of Old Testament Jewish scriptures and New Testament writings was about 33 years later in 388 AD. Okay. This is like saying Christianity
0: is not based on the Trinity Because the first time the word Trinity was used was 200 years after Christ. Mm. (laughs) It doesn't matter what label they were using. That's true. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't. I mean, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And it's saying, well, Christianity didn't believe in the rapture. Well, I mean, you look throughout the New Testament and they said, we're going to be caught up in the air with the Lord. Mm -hmm, Blink of an eye. So, yeah, they weren't saying rapture. It doesn't matter what title excuse me, what title it is, who cares what they were calling it?
3: Now, here's my point. And this is, I mean, this is a showstopper. This is, a, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. Oh, I, this is, oh, I, I need to pay attention to this. You ready for this? Before the Old Testament, which it wasn't called the Old Testament when this happened. And before the New Testament, the term New Testament didn't show up until about 200 or 220 A.D., before the Old Testament New Testament were combined and titled the Bible Christianity had already replaced had already replaced the pantheon of Roman, barbarian and most Egyptian gods and was the state religion for the Roman Empire before anyone ever held one in their hand in fact it would really be almost to the invention of the printing press before anyone ever held one in their hand
0: This is what's so frustrating, and this is probably why I'm going to get my PhD in church history. Yeah. Because, you know what? Up until the time of Constantine, you had numerous, numerous church fathers who were encouraging the church, quoting the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Justin Martyr, Origen, Irenaeus, Chrysostom. You even had documents, you even have these other documents like the Didache, which were Christian documents <laughs> that were based on the Bible. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these writings that were being circulated were based on the Bible. They, mm-hmm. how, how would they even know what to talk about? How would Rome be based on Christianity if no one even knew what it was?
1: Right. If they didn't have the scriptures to follow. Correct. I don't know how many time, more times I can say it. From This is officially the worst sermon I've ever heard. It is getting there.
3: 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century Christians, look at this. The 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century Christians who faced tremendous hardship believed Jesus loved them before the Bible told them so. (laughs) 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century Christians believed they were absolutely...
0: That's a forced congregation laugh. No way. (laughs) Absolutely convinced Jesus loved them,
3: but this was before there was a Bible to tell them so. Peter, James, you know, John, Luke, you know, all of these, these New Testament writers, they, were, they, did not choose, they did not choose to follow Jesus and believe in Jesus because of an infallible Old Testament or a non-contradicting New Testament.
0: Ooh. Mm. They mm. did not believe in Jesus because of an infallible Old Testament.
1: Um, he's talking about the disciples, right? When he said that, is that who
0: he named? Yeah. Yeah. So, so this, this homeless carpenter (laughs) tells you to step off your fishing boat. (laughs) Yeah. Let me go follow this homeless guy. Well, what, I mean, what did they all know? They knew that Judaism was awaiting its fulfillment of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And here's the reason I know this. You look in Luke chapter 2. Go to the um, the temple. When Jesus was being presented at the temple, you had Anna, the prophetess, who had been looking for the one who would bring restoration to Israel. You had, oh, man, what's his name? Simeon. Yeah, Simeon sounds right. Okay, here we are. Here we are. Song of Mary. Uh, Zacharias. Uh, I want to say that's who it was. They knew that the fulfillment of Israel had come. They knew who the Messiah was going to be. They knew what they were looking for. Because of the scriptures. Exactly. And if if there was any Jew or any disciple who didn't believe... In the infallibility of the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Why would you trust a homeless guy with no money? You know, you say, well, well he was performing miracles. Yeah, not when he... Even then they didn't believe. Right, yeah.
1: So. Yeah, okay. I'll give you the, that they, they didn't know the the uh, the New Testament because right. they were living the New Testament right then.
0: Correct, but. They didn't... They followed Jesus. They didn't have an infallible New Testament. They had an infallible Christ. <laughs> right. Who taught using the Old Testament. Correct. I mean, after, after Jesus was resurrected, he didn't go say, hey, guys, here I am. No, he was walking, he was walking along, the, along the road, mm-hmm. and there were some disciples that didn't recognize him, and he explained the, the scriptures. Oh, man. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. He didn't say, hey, guys, here I am. He said, nope, let's understand the scriptures, Mm -hmm. and now you'll see. Now you'll see why
3: this happened. Mm. In fact, just to frame this up a little bit different, imagine this scenario. You know, somebody from the the future comes back to have a conversation with Peter and says, Peter, wait, wait, Peter, before you get all geeked out about this Jesus thing, you need to understand. Do you know there's no archaeological evidence for a worldwide flood? Did you know that, it's, that it's, <laughs> people are skeptical of the whole idea of the Hebrew people migrating from Egypt to the promised land? Um, did you know the earth has to be more than 6,000?
0: Let me pause there. Every culture, ancient culture, has a uh, historical narrative of a worldwide flood. Right.
1: Not just not just Christians. Correct. Every every culture.
0: The, the Epic of Gilgamesh is about Trying to find the man who was in the flood, mm-hmm. which was from the... He was from the village of Eight, which was Noah. Right. So you have one of the most ancient bookings in history is looking for the man that made it through the flood. <laughs> I mean, what kind of archaeological evidence are you going to find? Are you going to find like some fish still hanging there up on top of the mountain? Matter of right. fact, they have. They have uh, underwater... Fossils. Uh, yeah. Fossils of sea creatures on top of mountains. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just me.
3: I mean, Peter, before you start telling everybody about Jesus, you need, you, you need to get your facts straight. And Peter would look at somebody like that and say, I'm sorry, I, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. But see, I watched my friend die. And then some ladies came knocking on the door and said, the tomb's empty, the tomb's empty. And I would-
0: Matter of fact, Peter, Peter's first sermon... Mm-hmm. In Acts chapter 2, when he stands up, he says, Men of Judea, let this be known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. And he did not say, hey, Jesus was my friend. The first thing he says is he quotes the prophet Joel. Mm -hmm. And he says, it shall come to pass in the last days that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he goes on and he quotes scripture before he says anything about Jesus of Nazareth. Mm -hmm. Why was he doing that? Because every Jew listening there would pay attention to scripture because they knew it was the infallible word of God. Right. Revealed from God. That was his opening sermon, quoting scripture.
3: I run into the tomb and I looked in and I thought, you know what I thought? I thought somebody stole the body. And then later we had breakfast on the beach with my risen friend. So I don't know about all that stuff you're talking about. This is what happens
0: when you don't use the Bible in your sermons. You
3: say things that
0: the Bible doesn't say. Right. Because if you were actually reading the Bible, you would see that what Peter
1: said. Yeah. Well, was... I mean, what, what he's saying is that if somebody were to come from the future, back to the past and talk to Peter, that's what Peter would say. Right. But right. you read and you see what Peter did say. Exactly. And that... When somebody from the future comes back to talk to Peter, he's going to say what he said. Correct. You know, he's not going to make up
0: some stuff. Right. And he's going (coughs) to show that Christ was the fulfillment of the scriptures. So he quotes from Joel, and then he uh, quotes from, let's see, 28 Psalms, and then he quotes from Psalms again, which, by the way, psalms were not history right but they knew they were inspired right
3: all i know is this he died he rose from the dead and when somebody predicts their own death and their own resurrection you just go with whatever they say okay my faith doesn't hang by the thread of verifying everything in the old testament I'm a Jewish man, he would say. So I love the Old Testament. I wouldn't call the Old Testament. I love the Jewish scriptures, but I'm not a follower of Jesus because of the Jewish scriptures. I'm a follower of Jesus because he rose from the dead.
1: And preached from the Jewish
0: scriptures. Correct. I I know I've quoted this so many times that... uh, their their message was that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. He was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So I disagree with everything he's said. Everything.
1: I think there would be an argument. I think Peter would be like, oh, you have no idea what you're talking about. The <laughs> Old Testament or Jewish <laughs> scriptures or the infallible word of God. Everything talks about Jesus. Everything.
3: The first 300, for the first 300 years, the debate centered on an event, not a book. The question that for the first 300 years was not, is the Bible true, is the Bible true, is the Bible true? The question was, did Jesus rise from the dead? And Matthew said, oh, yes, he did. And Mark said, oh, yes, he did. And Luke said, oh, yes, he did. And John said, oh, yes, he did. And Peter said, oh, yes, he did. And James, the brother of Jesus, said, oh, yes, he did. And then a fire-breathing Pharisee named Paul, who was gonna put the church out of business, becomes a raving fan and dedicates his life to taking the gospel of Jesus to Gentile people all over the Roman world.
1: Because of the scriptures. If
3: there's no, here's the thing. There's no explanation for the success of the church if except Jesus for hadn't risen from the dead. The success of the church isn't the Bible tells me so. There was no Bible to tell them so. The success of the church was always built.
0: Jesus said, except the sign of Jonah be given to you, which mm-hmm. is that the Son of Man must be in the bow of the earth three days and three nights he was showing them that I'm fulfilling scriptures. I am the greater Jonah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I am the greater David. I am the greater Abraham. I am the greater Moses. I am the greater Solomon. You know, mm. I think this is, this is such a low view of the authority of scripture as God's um, guide for the church. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, here's the deal. If, if, if Scripture is not God's uh, God's guide for the church, then evidently what he's saying is our faith is not based on the Bible. It's based on the, the historical transmission of it's, it's oral ba- history.
1: Yeah, it's based on man.
0: Exactly. It's based on what we rationally think. Mm-hmm. The only problem is man's rationalism cannot be the source of his... Um, own authority because what we think sounds logical Mm -hmm. is not necessarily what God commands us to do. Exactly. I mean, what we think is logical is protect yourself. But the gospel says, give up your life. Mm -hmm. Give up your life. Go, you can go to dangerous places because... Death is no longer an enemy. I can die for Christ. Death is no—I mean, is it—is it your parents who are missionaries mm-hmm. in a, Romania, yeah. which is not the most economically and governmentally stable country? True. I've been there. What gives them the confidence to do that? It's not rationalism. It is the conviction that the commands of Christ are greater than our rationalism and reason. Exactly. So we're at, we're at a minute, or I'm sorry, an hour and two minutes now. I think we've pretty much exhausted the theology and the I philosophy so. think, in this yeah, sermon uh, series.
1: If I remember correctly, the rest of, of what goes on, which is only, what, about 10 minutes left if you just let it play straight through? Right. Um, it all comes back to the Bible, it all comes back to his saying that you that there is only one book, that the scriptures were not a thing. It's the way it's, he's making it seem. And he says at one point, and it made me laugh the first time I heard it, is that they didn't follow Jesus because the Bible. Jesus didn't love them because the Bible told me so, or Jesus loves me not because the Bible told me so, but Jesus loves me because Mark told me so, or because Peter told me so. Right. Because Matthew told me so. How did they tell us that? Right. How did, how did Matthew tell me that Jesus loved me? Correct. In the Bible. Yep. I mean, I mean so yes, the Bible told me so. Correct. And I, I don't understand how he tries to differentiate between the Jewish scriptures or the scrolls or the written word apart from... Being all collected into one,
0: right? I don't, I don't even know why he would want to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, let let's say, let's say you're on a deserted island, and you find the Book of Romans. Mm-hmm. Well, y- you have found holy scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit did a pretty good enough job. In the book of Romans, presenting the depravity of man, the sovereignty of God, and the reality of the gospel, that even with one, even with one, I mean, that's how, that's how um, Martin Luther came to realize the gospel of grace, was through reading Augustine's commentary on Romans. That's mm-hmm. how uh, Augustine came to understand the gospel of God's grace, was through reading the book of Romans. I mean, God doesn't need the whole Bible he he's given it to us. Mm-hmm. God can convert someone with one piece, and it's still inspired scripture, and it's sufficient to bring us to faith. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. So um, we've appreciated your uh, patience. If if you've listened to all three episodes, you've heard a lot. I hope you now kind of understand what a reformed perspective means mm-hmm. on a high view of scripture, sola scriptura, scripture alone be our guide for the church. Because otherwise, this is how you get the papacy. (laughs) (laughs) By believing that it's not sufficient. So, um, but
1: if anybody wants to kind of see where he goes from here and the, the lunacy that happens after all of this, um, where 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 would they go? I mean, would you even recommend somebody going to watch this? Researching this?
0: Yeah. No, I would recommend them to um, get on their podcast app and uh, check out Alpha and Omega Ministries with Doctor James White. Mm-hmm. That's who I would recommend. Yes, you start immersing no. yourself with because the problem is. Well, I, I
1: mean, the reason I know Melanie had asked she because she listens to the podcast and she's like. I want to hear the rest of what he has to say mm-hmm. because it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, and I, we're not obviously, we're not going to finish it. Right. Um, I don't really don't want
0: to finish it because well, it's I mean, that bad. Really, this has been, right now we've listened to a 40 minute sermon without scripture. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I would listen to someone that was trying to exegete scripture and maybe doing a poor job and... I mean, it, it, here's the thing. If you're if you're preaching scripture mm-hmm. and you're reading it, eventually even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Right. I mean you're gonna come across something good. The problem is when you're when yours not even based on scripture at all, there's not a whole lot of value I can I can see and listen no, to a whole lot just more. Straight yeah, well. But I hear you. So uh hopefully next time we'll um have Robert the Rain Man with us and we need to plan a big one year gospel defenders podcast episode it's going to be huge yes big birthday celebration we look forward to it god bless you guys um get ready for the season of advent celebrating the incarnation do it all for christ Uh, until next time we'll see you later take care
2: See mm-hmm. you mm-hmm.